vegan and plant-based business owners and entrepreneurs were often adapting to a new reality. This new podcast series from Vegan Mainstream is an opportunity to help you when it's time to pivot. These interviews will come from inside and outside of our community, and I hope as your host, Stephanie Redcross West, I can inspire you and give you the tools that you need to move forward. And welcome to our next interview. I'm excited today to be talking with our guest, Ray Starr, because not only will we be talking about not only a unique form of activism, but really diving deep into the books that Ray has written. I think it's such an opportunity for many of us as we're trying to not only change the world and help people understand the benefits of a vegan lifestyle, But what's great about Ray's books, and I'm really excited about talking today a little bit about the books, maybe not giving giving away too much because definitely need to read them, is the idea to express veganism not just through facts, not just through stats, not just through our journeys, but also through fiction. And the idea is if we want to create this vegan world that we're all after, we need to have content that becomes welcome to non-vegan audience. That is content that allows people to understand the movement and understand the world around them, but understanding it in a different context. And that's why I'm really excited about talking about fiction and using it as a form of activism. So before I just talk about everything that I'm excited about um, in today's discussion, I want to make sure everyone meets our guests and is equally as excited as I am about talking with Ray today, because I'm really excited about talking about not only the work that's been that trilogy that is in the making around, you know, in that Ray is writing. So Ray, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be speaking to you. This is the first interview that I've had in uh, the States. So this is my first non-British interview. So it's a biggie. Oh, I'm so, so, so excited. So let's give everyone a little bit of background. Let's give everyone a little bit of background on you as an author and what inspired you to two books and maybe even give people a little bit of background that you know, there's it's a trilogy in the making. So maybe give them a little bit of background on your work and decide to take this route. So this all started for me. I unfortunately lost my dad to pancreatic cancer in 2017. When he was diagnosed, the first thing that doctors said to him to give him a chance of living longer was, you know, the norm that most people were kind of aware of now, but maybe it wasn't quite as much back then, was to ditch meat and dairy. Only instead of telling him what he should be eating, they focused on what he shouldn't be eating. And unfortunately, it just didn't, it didn't turn things around quick enough. But it was a huge alarm bells moment for me because I obviously thought, you know, if I was not eating this stuff for breakfast, dinner and lunch in the first place, then maybe he wouldn't have got it, you know. So it was a real life-changing thing for me. I um, signed up for Veganuary in 2018 and I've never looked back. But like many people that go vegan, that find out the truth behind the products that we buy, going vegan for me just wasn't enough. I wanted to do more. I was very naive in the sense, you know, I knew what I was eating. I knew what it was but I never grasped for a second what those animals go through. And I just thought, how can I 
portray to people what it would be like to be in their footsteps, in, in their paw prints, you know, what would it be like to live the life of a chicken, of a cow, of, you know, all these poor animals that go through all these awful things. And the idea of activism came to me, but as you might notice as we do this interview, I am awful at public speaking. I'm oh. just so good at it. Couldn't do it. So, but I'm a good writer. I've worked in PR ever since I was 18. I've had a business ever since my teens, which I funnily enough closed last year to focus on writing full time. And yeah, I thought, let's write a story. Let's try and write a book where people can read and enjoy the aspect of it, but hopefully get the subplot, the narrative. And the narrative is a speciesism, but reversed, you know, so in the Earthlings world, and um, the, the trilogy is called Earthlings, the beginning, in the Earthlings world, humans aren't at the top of the food chain, we are very much at the bottom, and an unlikely species is at the top, kind of ruling everything, and it's the journey of a young girl who's uh, magic born, uh, she doesn't know that she has these gifts, and she has to kind of decide whether to use these gifts to help save humanity, or, you know, is the world better left off if humanity was left where it was, which is the kind of talking point behind the book that I want people to kind of grasp and understand, you know, that unfortunately the world that we live in now, I hate to say, would be better off if we weren't in charge, you know, so rather than that being the grim aspect of it, let's just change the way we do things, <laughs> you know, let's just do things better and let's turn this around ourselves rather than being kind of the martyrs of our own story let's fix the world instead of destroying it you know let's come together and um our world is worth saving but we're, we're the ones that have got to save it it's down to us so that is a kind of message behind the earthling story and uh book one was published in august last year and it's doing unbelievably well i'm still pinching myself i can't believe it and book two is out in june dominion so I've named each book within the trilogy after famous animal rights documentaries, again, with the hope of kind of inspiring awareness of things that I wasn't aware of before I had my own vegan journey. So people can kind of take what they need from the story and leave the rest. Perfect. Now, I like that your books are kind of turning the story upside down. You know, the idea that maybe we're not in charge and what the world would be like if we weren't in charge and, and oh, what are some of those decisions that need to be made? So I think it creates a different perspective when we're thinking about the world. And I think as we're moving forward as vegans, that's what we're asking, not only people who maybe have not made a leap to veganism, we're even asking vegans ourselves to look at the world differently because for us to have a new world and a new kind of um, way of life, we can't just look at it the way it was in the past. What kind of feedback have you gotten from people so far who have read the book? What kind of, you know, responses have you gotten? Because I'm, I'm curious if you've given moments or have people been a little resistant? Yeah, no, this is what I can't believe. So I haven't marketed my book as a vegan book because as much as I, I want vegans to read it, I really, really do. But they're not the target audience because they've already made those changes. I want, you know, everyday people we're not everyday people but you know we, we understand what's happened and we've started making the changes to try and you know hopefully make the world a better place people that are still eating meat are sometimes oblivious you know to everything that is going on you know so i didn't market it as a vegan book i wanted omnivores to read it and then hopefully get the message so in that respect i've always been scared that the feedback might come back as you know it's preachy la di da di da and i'm 
I can't believe I'm still waiting for a negative review. So um, I can't believe it. So um, it, it's been, I think this, that's been like the most exciting part of this is how open everyone is to change. Like when people do grasp and understand what it would be like if we went through what the animals went through, their instant reaction is, that's not right. What can we do about this? You know, which was the whole point of me writing it. It was my way for me to try and raise awareness for animals, but in a way where people are open to receiving it. So, you know, reading a book about a magical girl who's going on this journey and finding herself and finding out all this scary stuff that she didn't know was happening. And then in amongst all of that, people might pick up the message and people are picking up the message, which is amazing. So and a lot of people contact me afterwards asking for advice on, you know, how to cut out meat and dairy, you know, what products to avoid, um, or even just shopping cruelty free, you know, which is a great starting point. And then once you have that starting point, it often leads, as it did for me, into taking the full journey, you know. So, um, so yeah, it's been amazing that the feedback from non-vegans has been so, just so positive. And I'm, um, yeah, I'm thrilled, absolutely thrilled. So, the athlete's message is working. <laughs> oh, that is good. That is good. Dr. Um, Harper stopped by um, and said that she was really excited about the books and is, you know, excited about, you know, getting these books for tweens and teens. Um, so I think that's really great. Thanks for stopping. So walk me through the difference between the first book, Earthlings, and then the second book, Climate Fiction. What's kind of the different focus and you know how does it progress as you're going through this trilogy? Sure. So I marketed it as climate fiction. It is climate fiction. There's a big kind of you know climate awareness part of the novel as well. So obviously, as we all know, that's a huge issue we're facing. You know, the country that I live in, if we don't change realistically, is going to be in the ocean in ten years. So you know, we've got to you've got to make some changes. But people are open to reading reading about climate fiction. And my fear was marketing it as a vegan book, non-vegans would instantly be put off because a lot of people dread, you know, the dreaded V word. <laughs> a lot of people are put off by that word. So yeah, we marketed it as the climate fiction role. The book one, it's a child-friendly trilogy. So the hardest part of writing this book for me is reversing the roles in a child-friendly way. How can I explain what a chicken goes through, what a cow goes through, but in a way where 10 plus can read that and not be traumatized because that's not the point of it. It's not a preachy book. You know, I don't want to upset people. I just want to raise awareness that people can make their own informed decisions from it. Um, so book one does start very tame. It starts off in an almost humorous aspect with an evil chicken named Alan intent on world domination. <laughs> I had to throw a bit of humor in there as well because again, the logistics of it, when you reverse that, you know, it isn't funny because of what chickens go through. But by using that species as the evil tyrant, so to speak, it made people open to reading about it. And then as the trilogy gets progressively darker, because it does, mm -hmm. people are already invested in the story. So they'll want to keep reading. <laughs> so, yeah, book one is quite light. It's more magic based. I focus more on the dairy aspect. So the humans and the earthlings world. Uh, so the, the women and the young children, they're kept at what's called AI stations, um, which is short for artificial insemination stations. But again, 
for a child that's reading that, I'm not going to explain what artificial insemination is. You know, I don't want to disturb children. That's not the whole point. The, the term artificial insemination is mentioned once just to describe what AI is short for. But then it's up to that individual reading mm -hmm. it if they then want to Google that and look into that themselves and then realise and go from there, you know. So, and then certain scenes with things. So the, the, the boys are raised for meat, like, you know, like, like the animals are in, in modern day society, but not making the scenes gruesome and just mentioning what happens without making it, you know, I, I don't want it to sound like a scene from Hostel, you know, so it is keeping what should potentially be an 18 story PG, which is the hardest part of writing it. And then Dominion that is out in June, it does get progressively darker. So we witnessed some other some other aspects of what animals go through, the humans are going through, and you know the readers are going to read that. And I had to make sure that I was factually correct as well, because I don't want to put the humans in the earthlings world that are going through these things, and then for someone to say, well, actually, that doesn't happen to animals. So the research side of the trilogy has been quite difficult. I've had to speak to ex-slaughterhouse workers, um, ex-farmers, ex-undercover um, investigation teams, yeah, so the research side of it has been quite hard. You know, I've had to watch a lot of things that I don't want to watch, but, you know, it's going to happen in the book and I have to child-friendly it, so I, I have to watch it to then be able to interpret it in that way. Yeah, and then the last book within the trilogy, which will be called A Land of Hope and Glory, which is the most important aspect of the book, is even pointing out all the bad things that, you know, we do do as humans. There needs to be a solution so what's the point in pointing out all these things if then at the end we don't say, you know, this is how we do it right. So the end of A Land of Hope and Glory, uh, there's going to be an alternative ending. Mm -hmm. So the ending will be how to save the world and make it great or how if things were just left as they were, what would then happen there? So um, I've got two endings to write to the trilogy. So <laughs> that's going to be quite exciting. And yeah, yeah, it's all, a, it's a journey for me writing it. It really, really is. It's, cha it's changed my life in ways I couldn't even fathom possible. That, it's very different to working in PR. Oh, my old job. I could imagine. Definitely. Definitely. And also, I think because of because you're writing for, it's different. You know, you don't see a lot of, um, and I think, you know, Dr. Harper has said it well, you don't see as much you that not only addresses some of these issues, but doesn't, you know, put animals in positions that we treat it as if it's a normal thing. You know, I really like that your book is really challenging that normalcy and challenging the idea that these are things that we do and maybe we shouldn't be doing. Maybe these are things that, especially if we were, we, know, we would look at them differently. We, you know, change our perspective when we put ourselves into the puzzle, but if it can help people see the world differently and also see how we shouldn't be treating animals, I think that's a really good premise and can be a really, really huge help. By having books like yours makes a difference because it allows us to educate different generations. I think often when we're thinking about the vegan movement, we are trying to decide which generation should we bring, we bring it to um, each of the generations and bring it in a way that they, it's digestible. Bring it in a way that makes a person think because at times we do need some of those videos. Sometimes we need those things that kind of shock us into awareness, but not every group needs maybe the shock. Some groups need a way to think it through differently, to see yeah, a different perspective so that 
the future that we're not, we're not prescribed. We're really helping people see that the future can be different. And I think that's what gets me excited about your books. It's making a non-lighthearted issue lighthearted, not because it's lighthearted, but because again, it's wanting non-vegan people that aren't all open to this way of life yet, or you know, some people do look at it and think it's too far, it's too extreme, but to genuinely believe that you just haven't put yourself in in the space of what's actually happening to these creatures, and then once you're in that space and you understand that, you know, it's impossible not to want to change because who wants an animal to go through that? You know, I don't think even slaughterhouse workers, like from slaughterhouse workers that I've spoken to, you know, they don't enjoy the job. They don't want to be doing it. You know, it's just a paycheck. I mean, some that I spoke to, you know, they were in bits, like, you know, it's changed their lives forever as a person, which was, you know, it was, Nobody wants to do these things to animals, you know, we, we just need to stop doing it. But in order to do that, we need to raise awareness. But in many cases, it's raising awareness in a way that A, people are open to it. B, we're not preachy. It's a really big one because everyone hates, you know, the hashtag preachy vegan. <laughs> you know, everyone hates that. But at the same time, it's hard not to be. When you just yes. want to scream to the world what's happening and you want the changes to happen now. And it's a case of being patient. But I genuinely believe it is happening. We are going to turn this round and we are going to save the world. We are. We are. I know. I know we are. We can't carry on with the narrative that we've got now. It has to stop. And I do genuinely believe, especially with the youth of today, who are really open to this. I had to do like school visits to talk about climate change and job types that you could go into after school that will benefit the planet as opposed, you know, to um, creating more you know, negative carbon footprints and things. And they're just so open and so many of them already have all these amazing ideas that I haven't even thought of. Some of them I really want to share, but I don't want anyone to steal the students' ideas. Like, they're gonna they're good do it. Like, if we don't do it, they're going to. So there is hope and we are there and everything is going to be okay. We just need to be okay a bit quicker. Yes, we definitely want a little more speed. And I also, you know, I always want to recognize my folks there. I mean, because protest and signs and billboards, all those things move the movement forward too. But it's almost like almost, I'm just a big fan of having messaging that reaches people in different ways because sometimes people need the shock. But then when they're translating it into action, sometimes they need perspective too. When they're trying to figure out how to do it differently. And also I love having books because books can create dialogue and discussion. And I think even in our society, we've been seeing, and even in the last couple of years, it's been harder and harder to have discussions with individuals. But when you have something like a book, it can be a great source for that dialogue. And I think when we can get not only awareness going, but dialogue going, then it becomes a lot easier for us to figure out how to respond. Exactly. One of the reviews I got, which was very kind from someone, was it's the perfect way to make the most non-vegan vegan. <laughs> and that was lovely. That was really nice because that was the whole aim. You know, that was the whole aim. Again, it's just a case of just trying to open people's minds to things, but in a way where they don't realize it's happening. So it's almost like a sneaky form of activism because you know you're just picking up a book about a girl who's got magic powers and wants to save the world don't realize till you're a third of the way into the book why she wants to save the world and what's happening you know this evil chicken alan he's very evil 
<laughs> he's a very mean chicken. So uh, I hope he doesn't make people hate chickens. That was my one fear because yeah, because we don't want that. That's not that, that's not the case. No. But please love Alan absolutely and um, understand Alan. I think that's the other thing. Understand Alan's perspective and point of view because unfortunately, some of us as humans have that point of view, and we have to be able to understand it and understand those individuals so that we can potentially move them forward. Plus, I love that you're talking about the positive future that we can have, because I think for some of us, you know, the world isn't changing as quickly as we had hoped it would change. So therefore, we can feel some frustration. We can start to feel like, you know, you know, is this going to happen? We can sometimes question ourselves and that doubt can creep in. And I'm really looking forward to your third book, because that idea of addressing that pot, that hope, there are solutions. There's lots of solutions. We just got to implement them, you know. And again, all comes down to awareness. Yes. We just need more people to know about it, you know. And no matter what form of activism that is, whether it's a book, whether it's protesting, you know, even if it's social media, if it's just sharing something on Twitter, or on Facebook, on LinkedIn, it all makes such a huge difference. I think all that individuals can do is try and trying is is enough you know if enough of us are trying we will turn this around governments and corporations they have to listen because we're the ones we pay their paycheck and you know that's what it all boils down to at the end of the day so, you know the big people at the top that we need to listen and implement like the major changes if enough of us are making our voices heard you know that it will happen so I think it's a really positive thing to be in even though there's Absolutely. so many bad things going on in the world at the moment and it can feel like oh god hopeless sometimes like knock your head against the wall hopeless at the same time i think there is so much hope there and there is so much positivity and so many people really trying to make a difference and that's just going to spiral we've just all got to believe in it and get behind it and support each other and we will get there a million percent can't believe with that absolutely so if people are interested in the book, if they want to get access to it, what's the best way? Do they go to your website? You know, do they jump on a traditional, you know, online ordering, go to a local bookstore? How are hands on at least the first two books? Whichever you prefer. So um, along with the message behind the Earthlings trilogy, it was really important to me that Earthlings doesn't have a negative carbon footprint. So something that I'm trying to raise awareness for at the moment, unfortunately, is a lot of the books that we know and love are made from um, virgin paper, which means trees are cut down for them. I can't write a book about saving the world and cut down a thousand trees for that, that book to be out there. It's just hypocritical, I can't do that. So my books are printed on recycled paper with every retailer except Amazon. Unfortunately, Amazon, which is ironic given the name, <laughs> uh, they don't offer uh, a sustainable printing option. Um, so I also started a campaign called the Read Green Campaign. Uh, you can head on over to change.org forward slash read green. And it's trying to position Amazon to offer sustainable printing because at the moment, millions of trees are cut down needlessly each year. And there's no need because you can just use recycled paper. It doesn't impact on author or the publisher's uh, profit margin. There's, there's just a no brainer. There's so much excess recycling out there. That's a huge issue as part of society as well. And it just it solves so many problems. So. Yes, so we're printed on recycled paper everywhere except Amazon, so whether that's Barnes & Noble, um, I don't know if you have Waterstones over in the USA. I think if you put Earthlings at the beginning, or Earthlings by Ray Star in Google, anywhere that comes up, just um, 
long as it's not Amazon, yes, help yourself. I would love you to read the book. Um, and I'm planting a tree for every copy sold as well. Again, whilst it's um, whilst it's made on recycled paper, the printing process does still create CO2. And I'm trying really hard to be a carbon neutral author. It's quite important to me. So yeah, we're planting a tree for every copy sold as well. So um, can't write a book about saving the world and not try and save the world yourself. Can't be a hypocrite. So yeah, every little helps. <laughs> And I think it also drives awareness of it because I didn't realize there was even a choice of being able to be printed on recycled paper. You know, for a lot of people, you know, it, we continue traditions not because we become times the impact of it. So even it was a aha for me to realize that, hey, you know, we can start requesting this. And then I really love that you're doing a petition to also be able to get Amazon to maybe make some changes so that those options are out there. Try. Yeah. yeah. Again, all we can do is try, you know, it's all you can do is try and trying is enough. Absolutely. And going to get yeah. there. And it gets people thinking. I think that's the biggest thing. It gets people thinking, requesting, and it demands are met if enough of us speak up. And I think, you know, you know, this book is really focused on helping non-vegans. I think what's one, it's a vegan community is that we can rally around your work and also help ensure that more and more people are picking the route that you're taking, that they're looking for recycled paper, that they're, you know, looking for options like printing. It's about like, um, excuse me, planting a tree to offset, because I think some of those decisions are key things that we can do as yourself as an author, key things that we can do as business owners out there. For many of us, we just need that idea, that spark to help us realize that we can use our power and use um, what we can do. There's a question around, is there a digital version of the book available? Yeah, so um, this is one good thing about Amazon. Uh, it's on Kindle as well. So yeah, if you head on over to, to Amazon, the non-paper print version, uh, Amazon do the e the ebook as well. So um, an ebook's a lot cheaper as well. So Perfect. both options are available. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Get in touch with you, do right? Do they go to social media? Because I'm because as an author, people I'd love to hear. Yeah, they'd love to hear about what you're doing, stay in touch with you, and also hear about when the third book comes out in the trilogy. So what's the best way for people to stay in touch? That would be lovely. Um, I'd love to hear from anyone, any age, anywhere in the world. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. So uh, my website is raystarbooks.com, or you can reach me on my socials. My socials for everything is just raystarbooks. Perfect, perfect. That's Twitter, Instagram. I'm even on TikTok, but I'm useless. I'm so not good at videos. I'm not I'm not it'll, very uh, regular. It'll on there. come over time. You never know. I try. Um, but the key is is just being out there and getting the word out. So I'm glad to hear that you're on TikTok and you, you know, tipped your toes in there. But it's wonderful to hear about right. your book, some virtual readings from your book. Have you done yes. anything like that? Like a virtual reading where people could tune in and listen to you and to you a little bit from the book? Really good idea, actually. So over here, I've done like a lot of book signings at bookstores and vegan events. So I travel to a lot of different vegan events around the UK doing um, signings and talks and things, which is really good fun. But no, I've never done a virtual one. That's a really good idea, actually. Thank you, Stephanie. I'll look into that. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Let me know if you know that. We'll share it out and let everyone know. But I'm really, really excited that we had a chance to talk to you. I really think this is a great session and it was really great to hear not only about you know, creating books, books, especially like you said, for that, for that, you know, creating books, um, uh, narration can read, creating books 
that are fiction in nature to, you know, build on our creativity and think of us, make us think of the world a little bit differently. And I just want to commend you for this type of activism. It is wonderful to um, definitely hear about what you're doing and how you're helping us kind of think differently. And only because I'm so bad at speaking. If I was better at speaking, I probably wouldn't have written the book. I'm just, just no good at this side of things. My friends call me Nan. I'm 34 and I'm called Nan. Oh, friends always come up with such a unique, unique. And you know what? There was one question that I did miss. There was a question about like, how do you create, you know, a sense of community, like fellowship around your writing? Because often when it comes to writing, I think one of the challenges is writing about some of these topics yeah. are not always maybe seen as commercially viable. Yeah. Um, so how did you find a way forward, especially for this type of topic? And then how do you keep yourself kind of... Keep yourself going, going kind of a supportive environment. Because, you know, our world, some a little bit away from writing, we've turned into the, you know, 20 second clip, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. culture <laughs> that, you know, getting people to not yeah. only write, but getting people to read, read a bit harder. So I'm just curious, your thoughts about that fellowship piece. And yeah, no, that's fine. So again, hate to say, but this is why I did not market it as a vegan book. The actual main narrative of the story is about this young girl named Peridot. She's raised on an island away from England by a very overprotective mother. Her mother doesn't want her to know the realities of the earthlings world. And her mother doesn't want her to know that she's magic born. It was really important for me to include magic as an aspect of the story because that engages a whole community of people out there who love to read and are, you know, really avid kind of promoting about what they read and things online because of their love for fantasy. You know, a lot of people love magic. They love dragons, talking animals and things like that. So it was really important for me that I made that the main narrative with the Earthlings message, the subplot. If I did, I, that was the biggest debate for me when I wrote the story was, do I include magic or not? Do I just make this about the message? which I did want to do, but I knew by doing that, only vegans were going to read the book. And again, vegans already know all of this. They don't need that message. You know, for the people that I want to read it and to try and make these positive changes, I need them to be open to reading this book. So that was where the magical side of Earthlings came to be. Uh, it's Peridot discovering that, you know, she's got these gifts she didn't know she had. A journey of self-discovery because her mother is very, very strict. You know, she's never left the island. She's never met another child before. So her first interaction with the Earthlings world is a young boy named Ewan. He escapes the mainland. So he's he was raised in an AI station and he managed to escape and he makes it onto their island. She's never met another boy before. You know, he's knocking on her window trying to get in. He's skinny. He's malnourished. Imagine a calf, a calf that's a human. He's, you know... He's deprived of food and nourishment. He's going on about being held in captivity on the mainland. And she does what anyone else in that situation would do. Just thought, thought he's crazy. He's mad. She's rambling. You know, he's going mental. She doesn't believe him. And then one day, Ewan disappears. As quickly as he comes into her life, he's gone. And she's desperate to find him. You know, she's, he's the only person outside of her community, of her mother and her mother's two friends that she's ever met so she escapes the island, she makes her way onto the mainland. And then that, kind of a third of the way into the book, is when the readers see 
the actual Earthlings message, what's actually happening. Ewan wasn't crazy. He wasn't making these things up. He really was held captive by an eagle chicken named Alan. <laughs> you know, all these awful things that he spoke about, you know, his mum being used for milk and tied to a machine all day and things. All these awful things really were happening. And then it's watching her... Her reaction, I hope, is also the reader's reaction because whilst Peridot is seeing these things for the first time, we're seeing it for the first time with her as well, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. So we're having that same realisation moment too. Get to go on that journey with her, but then at the same time, some people will click, hang on a minute, I feel so sad for these people and these children that are being kept in these conditions, but light bulb moment, that's what we do to animals. And that's where people will either get the message or just love and well, enjoy the story, hopefully, and just be caught up in, in the story, the magical aspect, you know. That's the kind of gamble that I took. But I had to take that gamble to engage people that aren't vegan. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I'm glad we had a chance to address that because I think a lot of people do wonder, you know, can we have more books like this? You know, others be authors. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. We've got to do it. Yeah. Got to do it. Have to do it. And there are lots of vegan books out there, actually, that I had no idea. Vegan fiction is a thing. Climate fiction is a thing. Um, it's got its own hashtag. So, uh, CliFi, which I wasn't aware of until I wrote the book. And that was what enabled me to push it as a CliFi novel. And I was very lucky. And then certain people read it and it's won a few awards and things, which is amazing. I'm thrilled about that. But vegan fiction is still quite um, like a niche genre that people don't really know about. And there's some amazing vegan authors out there writing these amazing pieces of fiction. And it's just not mainstream yet. People don't know about it. So have a Google vegan fiction or see if you've got a local vegan fiction book club. Goodreads is great for that. There's a few brilliant ones on there. And it's a really good place to read these books and have like a discussion about it as well. It's brilliant. And again, a lot of those aren't marketed as vegan fiction for the exact same reason that, you know, you could buy that as a Christmas or birthday present, give it to your niece, your brother, your mum, your dad, they can read it and really enjoy it. And then just maybe just pick up the message behind whatever the story is and start making some changes and, you know, just make this world a better place again. Absolutely. Yeah. I definitely think there's such an amazing place for fiction to create thought. Um, and also relation, um, Dr. Um, Harper put in a point here about, you know, how sometimes when we read these stories, we start to understand how there's history around things that we've done, not just Gerald, but what we've done even to African-Americans, what we've done around slavery, you know, it's just some horrendous things. And a lot of people, if I put it in their past, they try to, you know, say, well, that wasn't me. But we have to remember for that level of evil and those mistakes that have been made so we don't continue to do that, even if we've in a aggression way. Maybe it's not the same that it was done in slavery time. People can, do this, people can carry forward those same activities in our lives and you know hold people back. So I really think there's such a great correlation between how we hurt animals, you know, how we've impacted, you know, African Americans and black. Uh, really wide, but really huge here in, in in the U.S. So it's really great to have books like this to get us to start thinking, to get us to know that these correlations exist, and that we really have to change the way we act, the way we interact, and the way we treat really all beings. So, um, so glad. So Bree's mentioned that that point, 
And I'm so glad we had a chance to talk today. I know we went, yeah, I know we went over a little bit longer than usual. I was just going to say for a lot of people as well, it's not even the past, it's still the present, it's still happening all across the world. The situation, you know, with Yemen and other countries, there's some really awful things going on in the world at the moment. I'm so blessed that I'm not a part of that, but not talking about it, not bringing it into conversation matter is what is allowing it to continue. Because if everyone knew that it was happening, we would stand up and we would stop it. We would make it stop somehow, you know, so these conversations as uncomfortable as they are, if there's any way to get it into a topic matter, you know what, just just do it, you know, because we can't be silent anymore. We've reached a stage now, you know, where voices have to be heard and we have to be the best that we can be so that we can turn this around. Perfect kind of reminder to everyone in a perfect place for us to wrap up today's interview. So once again, Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so glad we had a chance to talk. You know, thank you so much for giving us some spoilers there in the book, but it was just wonderful to hear the story. It's got me. Thanks so much, Todd, for joining us. Um, I'm really glad you um, joined us and enjoyed the interview. And thank you, everyone who joined us. Wonderful to have you here. Todd, Dr. Breeze, Michael West. Gloria, where we had you join earlier. It's always wonderful. wonderful. So um, we are glad you're here to join us for our next session. So thank you, everyone who also maybe watches this as a replay. We always think it's great for you to jump in and watch these interviews. It's wonderful to be able to show you really vegans who are taking their professional skills and helping share and spread the movement. While we tend to talk with a lot of entrepreneurs at times, it's so so today with you as an author because it not only shows another professional track for us, it was really exciting that you know vegan is a thing. It is, is a, a thing. thing that we all should be paying attention to. I also think it creates great opportunities. So it's wonderful where we're saying that, you know, making the decision between creating a story that has that magic adds that messaging can create some commercially viable books that people will support and we can get out there in the world. So it's been wonderful having you for this interview. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. And we'll see everyone in our next interview. Amazing. Thanks. Um, Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Pivot our vegan business interview podcast. This is recorded as a live streaming session. So I hope you'll join us for future interviews as well. We offer these interviews to help vegan entrepreneurs stay connected with the vegan business community. If you're interested in more in-depth insights or training, please consider subscribing to one of our premium podcasts, Going Solo or Fix It. Visit veganmainstream.com to learn more or click on the links in the show notes.